1: Hey, everybody, welcome into another episode of the Can We Please Talk podcast. As always, I'm Mike Leon.
0: And here only for a few minutes because I got to get in on this Donald Trump trading cards thing. I'm, yeah, I'm, <laughs> I can't even finish it without laughing.
1: Uh, <laughs> I'm Nick Severi. I am. <laughs> uh, well, welcome back. Uh, we may edit all that out. Let's see. Uh, well, on the program today, Uh, Former President Donald Trump's major announcement to get some uh, trading cards for $99 just in time for the holidays. You can put those stocking stuffers or in a trash can if you want for your loved ones. Uh, A congressional hearing for the search to bipartisanship solutions to gun violence, Nick. Finally, but if you hear some of the clips, it's going to make you want to throw your phone away right now. Uh, Also, Elon Musk is deleting everyone's Twitter accounts. News just breaking as Nick and I are recording Plus, later on the program, Representative Jamal Bowman from New York's 16th District. He stops by on the pod later on the program. Him and I got into everything about Brittany Griner coming home, the new leadership for the Dems with Hakeem Jeffries, what bipartisanship should look like from his lens, and if he would still get into politics, if he knew what he knew back when he was running in 2020. So Representative Bowman, later on the program. Uh, First, a couple of things here at the top of the program real quick. It's been... And I know we're going to get into you, Nick. You've been away. Uh, I want to shout out all of the guest hosts that have filled in in your stay here. We had Rick Sanchez, the former CNN and Fox News host on the program. Marie Hart filled in as well, Fox News contributor, State Department spokesperson. Washington Post reporter Sabrina Rodriguez was kind enough to fill in and give us all the details on the Georgia runoff. And then Alex Clement, my buddy from G Zero Media. Over there does a great job covering Russia and every world news and politics and really breaking it down. So he did a great job. And all of the guests that we've had hosting here over the last couple of weeks, my thank you to them. But my partner is back now. He's back in the saddle. He's chomping at the bit. How was vacation? Uh, Let's let's get into how was Disney World? I alluded to it a bunch there. You throwing up on roller coasters that, that your daughter's forcing you to take uh tell the audience how the vacation was and and how how were the episodes to you listening to the episodes back well yeah let's start with the episodes um you know they were they were amazing it's
0: it's funny uh, just sort of taking everyone behind the curtain a little bit you know between mike and i we often we we're not surprised by the quality of our work you know we take this obviously very seriously but you know as as two people who known each other over 20 years as you know as college students and you know people who are continue to Build a brand, you know, in in this space. It it was. I, I laughed a little bit as I listened to the episodes. Just think about the backgrounds, people. Like very casually, a moment ago, you took us through the four people who were able to step in. Right, quite a few of them actually are people that we just consider friends and family on this show. So I was just really impressed by the ability for people to rally, you know, be able to jump on. And really maintain the quality of this program. you know people come with these really varied backgrounds but they le- they lended their expertise but they also lended their personality. you know I thought a lot about that about you know and it, it was really emblematic of the vibe that we try to produce here at can we please talk? you know we want to be informed but we also want to be entertaining and we want to make sure that we're leaving people with the takeaway that you're smarter for coming and, <laughs> and hanging out with us you know but you're also leaving a little informed little, you know, entertained as well. So that they were able to all do that was insane was amazing. But I would also say it's a credit to you. I think, you know, as a producer, as a host, your ability to steer the ship again, even with a roster change, we talk about this in sports all the time, you know, next person up, right?
1: And that was what I saw over the last couple episodes. So just commend guy just commend you for that. Oh, thank you. I appreciate that. Now get now give the people what they really want here. Space Mountain, how many times did you go on it? Uh well give us a little bit of a breakdown of the Zavari trip here. Yeah. It's so first and foremost, I am not a roller coaster person. I, I thought I might be. I
0: I, yeah, I went on the, the, the only roller coaster I went on was the Guardians of the Galaxy ride at, at Epcot, um, and I wasn't quite prepared for what it was going to be. So essentially, it's a roller coaster, of course, but it's also you know paired with all these different visual visual things you see on the screen. Folks, I got to be honest with you. If you see the picture of me and I got to go find it
1: of me on the ride, my eyes are closed and they were closed for the whole time because <laughs> we, need, we need to wait. Hold on, we need to <laughs> you get gotta see that it's gotta be on Instagram. Absolutely. Yeah, no, no. It's going to be on our IG. We're going to put it up over on Leon Media Network. <laughs> we may replace Nick's professional photo with this photo. I need, I need to see that photo and get that. Absolutely. Okay, continue with the story. <laughs> so, you know, it was, I mean, it's,
0: it was, it was a ride. I mean, if you're a fan of roller coasters, it's a great ride for you. I'm not. I got off that thing. I was already dizzy. I did not throw up, But at least for the next day and a half, anytime I had to look over anything, it could be over the kitchen sink. It could be outside the window. It could be over the pack and play where my daughter's sleeping. That sense of looking over would produce a little nausea in me because I was just completely disoriented from the ride. Um, I I would say just in totality, it was was an amazing trip. It's an adventure. It's a tiring one. Vacation's a funny word to use when you're the parent of young children, because, you know, prior to having kids, you know, my wife and I did a fair amount of traveling and, you know, the ability to sleep in, right? Just go to any random place and get food. That's all lost <laughs> when you have children. But the joy that they have, especially at Disney World, was well worth it. The other thing that does come to mind, you know, Mike, you were a part of that trip. You know, it was Saturday last week. and I know we're going to get into it in a moment, but. Um, you know, the news of Grant wall, you know, the, the great writer at sports illustrated covering soccer, who's really brought soccer to the forefront, you know, in American sports media, uh, and his passing, um, you know, we had Mike Leach, you and I are both big college football fans and, and his passing just on Monday. So as I come back from this trip, you know, we've had just, just tragic things, but then also coupled with the great news about Brittany Griner, you know, so, um, It's just a really trippy thing to go through the human experience. Also, you know, also trying to enjoy a vacation. But this is the world we live in because I can't completely be off the grid. Obviously, I got to come back here excited to get on the mic and have so much to talk about, but but also being in the know as well. And I appreciate just you and I just especially with with Grant's passing, having an opportunity to to, to just decompress, you know, as as members of the media now, but also the work that he's done, but then also just seeing the really interesting cycle of what we thought may have been the cause of death to what in the end was uh, and sadly seeing that through the eyes of his brother, which is an interesting commentary on on yeah. the power and the the challenges of
1: social media. Well, I'm so glad you said that because we're going to get into the social media angle later on in our last segment. If you haven't seen uh or you're just waking up this morning, you don't know what's going on in the Twitterverse, but we'll get into that later on. But it is true this past week, uh, you know, sports writer Grant Wall died at the age of 48 um, he had, it appears to be an aneurysm or something related to a condition he had, maybe it was undiagnosed, maybe it got exacerbated from being in Qatar and the temperatures there. Um, but he had, he had passed away. His brother had alluded to that. He thinks the Qatari government got involved and then turned out that he retracted that statement after they found out that the cause of death it was a really sad story all around former Mississippi state, uh, coach, Mike Leach had a massive heart attack over last weekend. Passed away in a hospital. He was sixty-one. Um, a terrible loss. And again, back to the politics thing, right? If you take if if you know Mike Leach's politics, you wouldn't be saying terrible loss if you felt you know the opposite way. But still, just a, a, a at least on the surface, seemed to be a really good guy based on all the interactions he's had with different media members that have come out and said how you know gracious he was with his time. And then. Obviously, something that is near and dear to you and I, because uh, when we had representative Seth Monon talked about the 98 suicide and crisis lifeline, uh, DJ Twitch, who's been part of the Ellen show for the better part of a decade. And he was also on So You Think You Can Dance. Uh, He took his own life in in a Los Angeles motel at the age of 40, two days before him and his wife were celebrating their wedding anniversary, um, leaves behind three kids. Um, I said this, I said this on social media. You know, We've posted links and stuff like that, but uh, you really don't know how somebody is feeling deep down inside. So if you or someone you know is showing signs, don't wait. Don't wait. Check in on people. Call the 988 uh, Lifeline so you can get some help for you or for that person that you know. Um, We're going to try to transition and make this a little bit more lighthearted now because um, I don't know how you can. It's been such a tough week, like you said. Glad you're back on vacation. I'm glad you were able to you know, kind of unwind, like you said, but listen to some of the stories. We're going to get you some some of your takes on, on a bunch of things. But let's get into the first one we just mentioned here as part of our first segment. Uh, former President Trump, if you haven't seen this, we're going to play a clip from the former president, maybe upselling a little bit of this. But uh, the former president uh, made a major announcement, or at least he posted on his true social account that he had a major announcement coming up. What is the major announcement? They're going to be selling these digital trading cards for ninety nine dollars. And it's a bunch of images with the former president, you know, almost looking like a superhero, one in a Top Gun style fighter pilot, uh, another one in a Superman outfit that just has a T replacing the S. And then here's what the former president said about the release of these cards. Take a listen.
0: Hello, everyone. This is Donald Trump. Hopefully your favorite president of all time, better than Lincoln, better than Washington, with an important announcement to make. I'm doing my first official Donald J. Trump NFT collection right here and right now. They're called Trump Digital Trading
1: Cards. These cards feature some of the really incredible artwork pertaining to my life and my career. It's been very exciting. You can collect your Trump Digital Cards just like a baseball card or other collectibles. Here's one of
0: the best parts. Each card comes with an automatic chance to win amazing prizes like dinner with me. I don't know if that's an amazing prize.
1: (laughs) Listen, I have a friend out there. I don't know if he listens to the show. uh, My friend Scotty out in Michigan and him and I have this saying that we text to each other and it says, funny is funny. And that was funny. I don't I don't care what side of the political aisle you are. I don't care how big of a danger to democracy Donald Trump is. I don't care how much we think he incited or at least had a lot to do with the incitement of the riot on January 6th and 2021 and was a riot. That was funny like that. Him not being able to upsell his own thing about having dinner with a former president. That's funny. And I think that's what to go back to the point of, of my friend on Michigan is what kind of endeared a lot of people in the Republican Party to Donald Trump. If you remember in those primary debates where he was making fun of other people, not so much himself, he was really going on the offensive, but giving people nicknames and making them laugh. He had nothing related to policy or what he would do other than, you know, obviously Mexico is going to build a wall and pipe dream stuff that never got done. But things like that is what endeared people to him because he was able to be somehow charismatic within like a 10, 15 second frame where it like stuck with people um the psyche of how that that plays is so funny i i don't want to spend so much time on this because what else could we spend on a 99 a 99 dollar nft trading card of a former president that you can buy now where proceeds will potentially go to his reelection campaign what do you make of when you saw this video and, and, and how it's been posted across social media and the former president putting this together and almost giving everyone this this teaser of like, this is going to be the major announcement. And we saw uh, right wing conservative folks, Ben Shapiro and others just making fun of this. They were like, this is a major announcement. And the White House even tweeted out a major announcement in, re- in response. And they said, hey, we got Britney Greiner released. Gas prices are down inflation's down month over month. What, what were some of your takeaways when you saw this? Yeah, I, I actually, it's funny.
0: The clip I heard didn't include him say his, you know, the best president, you know, over Washington or Lincoln, which, you know, as a, as a fan of history is, is, is laughable at best. Um, you know, it's, I did catch that too. Like that sort of um, self-effacing, maybe I'm not so good that you want to have dinner with. And, you know, that is definitely part of the charm, but, um, but I'm not at all surprised. I mean, this is definitely a person who knows how to maintain a racket. Like the hustle is always going on. You know, it's something we always noticed when he was running for office was it wasn't just voting for him. How does he profit from you? Um, You know, from when losing the election, immediately, we just saw all kinds of, you know, ways to keep pushing for a campaign, which mind you, there was no talk of him running for re-election until recently. So from losing the election in 2020 to now, there was just a lot of chatter about, hey, donate to this cause. And then we find out, oh, wait, it's supposed to be an election fund, which I'm pretty sure may be a violation of some type of uh, laws as it comes to election funding or campaign funding. Uh, But yeah, I I felt this sense of like, just I laughed out loud as well. But I I also respect it too. The hustle never ends. He will find ways to make money. But that is consistent of the fact that and again, we you know the, his taxes have been turned over to uh, a committee at Congress, and we'll see what's revealed. But there is a cha- there's a financial challenge here. <laughs> this is a person who's 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 going to need some form of money. But at the same time, the thing I do have to bring up, and this is where I'll close this point: the people who would buy this are not the people that necessarily have a lot of money to do this. We heard often, you know, JD Vance's book went into this. We've heard often that you know the voice of, of the dispossessed are Trump's biggest supporters, and many of which have been funding or be really throwing a lot of money at him. So when I see this, I, I, I ask myself, how many people are about to kick in $99 that don't really have $99 or probably could find other things to spend it on? And it's just fleecing people. Because I don't even think he takes this seriously. But it's just you know the ability to find another way to market himself. And it's just really exploiting his supporters because this is just, you know, those who are truly supportive of him, you know, wanting to have another way to, you know, capture his essence or whatever it is, especially through an NFT.
1: Yeah. So it was a combination of laughable and sad, though. Yeah, I'm glad you said that about you know the the type of people that would actually purchase something like this because uh, in our next episode coming up next week that you'll see uh, we had a New York Times finance reporter Emily Flitter on the program a great job that she does covering all the stuff in the F- FTX space, excuse me, all these, ac- all these three-letter acronyms. But in the NFT space, you know, you could see some confusion amongst people of his base. And then so it's like, wait a minute, the price point is bad. And then the confusion of what I'm actually getting when I purchase this, how many of them do you think have an NFT, a, a digital a trading card, and understand what an NFT is? Um, one thing I did want to note was, On on the site of this NFT, INT, LLC, boy, say that five times fast, uh, of the company that's actually promoting uh, where you can buy this. On that site, they note that they're not owned, managed, or controlled by Donald J. Trump. They're just using his name, image, and likeness, almost like a a college football player here um, with respect to selling these cards. So uh, the public records, uh, according to a New York Times report, show that a company called CIC Ventures, LLC... Which was founded in 2021, has Nick Luna, who's a former assistant to Trump, and John Marion, one of the former president's lawyers, as directors of this. So the website is promising that, you know, if you buy cards, you'll be entered into sweepstakes. You'll get a chance to win a bunch of different prizes and stuff like that. Again, doesn't really say where the money's going to, but you would have to think that a portion of this somehow is going to the president for his reelection campaign. More on that another time if if that takes off like hotcakes or, or if it goes the way of the trash can like Trump steaks. Um, I want to move into uh, our serious segment here before we get to the break and the Congressman uh, Representative Jamal Bowman, because and again, we taped the Congressman's interview prior to this committee. Uh, actually, uh, the folks meeting on, on Capitol Hill. If you haven't heard about this, this examining Uvalde and the committee that was searching for bipartisan solutions to gun violence. That's literally the name of the committee. They had a hearing and that's not the name of the committee. That's the name of the hearing. Uh, it It was a subcommittee on crime, terrorism and homeland security. Right. So the hearing was titled Examining Uvalde the search for bipartisan solutions to gun violence. And a bunch of families of the victims of the Uvalde tragedy were in Washington, D.C. to testify in front of the House Judiciary Committee. They were sharing stories, et cetera, about how their lives have been impacted by the tragic deaths that happened back in Uvalde in May. At the hands of gun violence, Nick, at the hands of gun violence. And I'm repeating that because I'm going to give you some examples of some of the nonsensical arguments that came from some of the not serious members of Congress that are on this committee. So they go through a bunch of different testimonies and there's a bunch of different people on this panel. Okay. There's witnesses uh, like Faith Mata, uh, Dr. Roy Guerrero, who works in Uvalde. And then there's people from Sandy Hook, uh, Nicole Melecanio. I don't know if I'm saying her last name correctly. Excuse me. She was at the Sandy Hook tragedy, And then there was, you know, a chief of police, Anthony Holt, over there from Wayne State University Police Department. Uh, John Lott Jr. was on this. He's the president of Crime Prevention Research Center. And so all these people are giving testimony. And obviously, the, the congressional folks are giving their couple of minutes where they give some speeches here and there. Uh, some are making the arguments about gun violence and how we got to get to the root of it. And then some are saying things like Louis Gohmert here, the representative out of Texas that I'm going to play in a second. Take a little listen to this montage here of some of the stuff you heard from the congressional folks on this committee.
2: We have started teaching children that there's no absolute right and wrong. It, it What feels good is probably OK. We've got schools that are grooming children to be what our current laws say is sexual assault of a child. And it's going on publicly. Our morality as biblical Judeo-Christian morality has gone out the window. In the face of such laws, in the face of something that is man-made and therefore could be man-solved, you are hearing that the root cause of massacres across this country, like no other industrialized country suffers, mm. is evil. It's mental illness. We need more paddles and prayers. There's too many single moms raising children. Really?
1: I'm so glad she said it like that. Uh, that was Representative Madeline Dean out of Pennsylvania, actually the state where Nick lives. Um, and then you heard Louis Gomert there doing the same old song and dance that you're hearing from uh, this faction of the Republican party that is calling Democrats groomers and things like that. One thing I wanted to mention was Jack Brewer. If you don't know who Jack Brewer is, it's because you haven't watched a commercial break on a streaming service in 2020. Jack Brewer is a former NFL player that says in a commercial back in 2020 that he voted for President Obama you know, the two terms when Obama served, and now he had switched his allegiance to President Donald Trump. He spoke at the Republican National Convention. This guy is the chair for the Center for Opportunity now at the America First Policy Institute. Why am I bringing Jack Brewer up? Because Jack Brewer went on Capitol Hill. I'm not going to play what he said here, but I'm going to read his testimony for and you can check it out over at docs.house.gov on this committee. He said, the difference between me and the hundreds of young black boys who are shooting at each other every week in communities across America, Nick, comes down to one word, father. The reason I thought twice about ever using that illegal gun I carried in my pocket is because I had a hard handed daddy at home that would whoop my butt. He gave an example of a 2016 study that found out a sample of 56 school shooters. Okay, this is according to something that he presented to the committee. Only 18% grew up in a stable household with both biological parents. Um, I'm going to turn to you, but first, I want to give my takes on this because um, I'm incredibly disappointed again that we are here talking about gun violence. We are here talking about, uh, you know, and we just had a sitting member of Congress on that's going to be on in the next break. Um, and, and again, like I said, we taped it, we pre-taped it prior to, so wasn't able to ask him about this, but. Um, Gun violence in this country, and specifically when you break it down in terms of mass shootings, school shootings, is way higher, similar to what Representative Dean, than any other country on this planet. There's no question that this issue with respect to gun violence and and the rate and the per capita of people um, is higher than a lot of other countries. And then school shootings is number one, and we're number one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, and ten. Nobody is even close to where we are with respect to school shootings over the last uh, 15 plus years. So when you have a committee like this, and we just talked about bipartisanship, what does that look like? And then you have a committee that's put together and Louis Gomer is sitting on that committee talking about Christianity and how we don't respect God anymore. Fatherlessness. Listen, fatherlessness is a real thing. We've had Michael Eric Dyson on to talk about Uh, that before. If you remember, we were asking him, he's written books about that, about fatherlessness in the Black community. Both things can be true. But here's the thing. Even if you lack a father and you want to commit an act of violence, you have to go out there and go get that weapon. If you don't have access to that weapon, you're not going to commit violence with that weapon that you wanted. This is not, some some things are not an R&D thing. They're a right, wrong thing. Like some of these things are not Republican. They're not Democrat. They're right, wrong. When we had Marie on, when you were uh, on vacation, Nick, Marie mentioned something about Donald Trump meeting, you know, with, with Nick Fuentes and Kanye West. Some, some things are not comms issues. They're not communications issues. How, how do we message about this? No message. That guy's a white nationalist. Don't hang out with him. It's not that hard. This is not a Republican or Democrat thing. So when we think about fatherlessness in the black community, and I don't want to speak about that community, but when we think about that, that's an issue and we could tackle that you want to, you want to plan a subcommittee. You want to get the members of Congress that are African-American that can speak to this. You want to bring in sociology professors like Dr. Stephen Kiraton, who's been on this program before, and you want to do panels. I'm all for that. Let's talk about it. Let's do it. Let's figure out community outreach and things like that. Let's tackle that problem separately. This problem is because people have access to a weapon. If, if we were selling them knives, they got to go on a knife spree. OK, it's and it's a little bit harder to, you know, just as an example, Paul Pierce was stabbed 35 times. An NBA player was stabbed 35 times. He's alive and well. If you've ever read that Paul Pierce story of what happened to him, you can go check that out. So a little bit tougher to kill somebody with a knife than it is with a gun. Let's not play this game. Of, of Republicans, Democrats, entrenched. Trench. This, this is right, wrong. If you don't have access to this thing, you're not going to be able to cause the bodily harm that you have caused. I know I may be oversimplifying it. And for the people that listen to the show, and I know there's a bunch of you out there that listen to it, that, that hang on to 2A as if you know it's the only amendment that you know and love and trust and recite to your kids before you go to bed. But let me tell you something. If something happens to the school district, God forbid, of where your kids live and they're put in harm, are you going to blame fatherlessness in the black community? Are you going to blame fatherlessness in the white community? Are you going to blame the not stable household that that person came from that committed that atrocity? Or are you going to blame the fact that that person was able to get a gun that morning? Which one is it? Think about things and how they would impact you. All right. Now I turn to you, Nick, because this is, I mean, again, we've talked about gun violence, but then when I saw this committee pop up, I was texting with you. And I'm like, we need to talk about this because it, this is a, a travesty that we're putting and we're going to see more of this with the makeup of the new house now and the slim uh, majority that the republicans have and i asked uh, representative bowman about that but how are these uh, guys and gals going to work together i'm all for putting committees like this t- to get some real answers and solutions but not when we're putting louis Gomer up there and he's talking about christianity and paddling and that's not, this is not that. Come on, man. Let's, let's get back to right. Wrong. Am I oversimplifying it? I don't think you are. Um, you know, you still can't,
0: you still can't have studies conducted, you know, in gun violence, or at least in, in the medical community. Um, you know, depending on the state that you're in, that's, that's not allowed. Like you're not able to, to go further and try to really draw the correlation between having access to a gun at home, um, you know, and, and the potential for bodily harm. So we, we find ways to try to downplay the correlation, right? Uh, you know, I, I use what Representative Seth Moulton, another person who's been on the show, had talked about when he talked about Ted Cruz, which is he's not a serious person. So we're not going to work together. And that's the same thing I would say about Louis Gohmert. It's Gohmert. This is not a serious argument. When you're talking about um, everything except access to a weapon, this you're just obfuscating and you're basically telling on yourself. You, you're, you're either receiving money from the NRA or you're deluded enough to think that it's not the access of the gun itself is not the problem. And if it really is a mental health issue, because I do hear this a lot, you know, from rep- Republicans recognizing that and it certainly plays a role. I say this all the time. If you and I were both gun owners, even if we both had a respective AR 15, you know, I know you well enough after all these years, as you know me. We're not going to go into a school and harm others with a gun. So clearly, we're in a, we're in a place emotionally and mentally that that's not going to be that's not going to happen to us. At the same time, you know, the Republicans like to talk about this, but they don't want to put any effort toward addressing it. There's never a bill put forward by Republicans of, hey, maybe we should do something about mental health because it's causing gun violence. I never see this. Um, I never hear anything about. You know, trying to do a study to find the causes—it's just lip service. So when Louis Gomer talks about, well, you know, we can't even tell right wrong, you know, Representative Gomer, where were you on January sixth? Because I still haven't heard you talk about whether that was right or wrong. So are you suddenly the moral compass that this gets that tells us, you know, where you know where we should stand as a country? Because you and the party are, are, are right now this current version. No, you don't get to do that. Because yeah, you're just wildly inconsistent on it, so I don't take it seriously. Um, I'm saddened by the fact that this is what what's happening. And as you mentioned about you know Congress changing, you know Louis Gomert's not the only one. You know we have seen a a pretty growing list of cartoon characters in the Republican Party. They're going to get strategically placed in different committees, and that's where this gets really interesting because we're going to see. The Marjorie Taylor Greens, the Lauren, Bo- the Lauren Bow um, you know, characters like that are going to get time to say the ridiculous things that we just heard, and they're not serious people. So, are are we actually going to try to have a a, a informed conversation and try to move this conversation forward to prevent the next school shooting, or is this just going to be political talking points? And, I, and
1: sadly, in this country currently, it seems to be the latter. Very well said, man. I uh, couldn't agree more um i in the new year i want to make it the focal point i want people to strip the association that they have with these two letters and just think about right wrong and who these things impact who is impacted by this financially uh whether it be you know physically whether it be anything who's impacted by this going to get this gun if that option's not available they got to circumvent that and do it through other illegal good make it harder for them to get that. What is so hard about understanding this? If you have you know, uh, a question or, or, or you want to chime in on this, can we please talk podcast at gmail.com. Hit us up about this. I want to I hear from the listeners out there about this topic. Uh, when we come back after the break, speaking of somebody that could actually do something about legislation in Congress, Representative Jamal Bowman, when we come back after the break.
0: Celebrate good conversation.
1: The presenting sponsor of Can We Please Talk is Fresh Roasted Coffee. Since 2009, their passion has been bringing you gourmet coffees from all over the world. You know how much Nick and I drink coffee. We love it here. I'm a K-Cup guy. Nick's that French press guy over there. Uh, Right, Nick? You're a French press guy.
0: I am. But I've also used a a Chemex. I've also used a percolator like most people do. Yeah, but regardless of your type of grind, fresh roasted coffee's got you covered in addition to single origin blends mike's a columbia person i'm a sumatra drinker they've also got a variety of flavors you also get sampler packs too i'm all about the sampler packs but most importantly let's say coffee is not your thing if you're a tea person mm-hmm. they got you covered too That's mike right. they cover all their bases so go there and learn about your your learn about your coffee style you go there to a three four question quiz you'll find out what coffee is recommended for you so you're learning something in addition to buying something but as a listener there's an
1: additional benefit for buying from fresh roast coffee look at this man this man sets up the softball i hit it out of the park it is true um if you take that questionnaire that's on their site it's awesome and it gets you right into the flavor profile that that matches you best with the coffee that you should be buying but you want to enter a promo code at checkout put all that stuff into the cart there Enter in the promo to- promo code, excuse me, can we get 20? Can we get 20? This offer is valid for new fresh roasted coffee and positively tea customers. You're going to get 20% discount on any and all coffee and tea unless otherwise specified. Code is not valid for branded merchandise or coffee gear. One use per customer. Head to freshroastedcoffee.com today. All right. Representative Jamal Bowman representing New York's 16th Congressional District. I was just telling him as a Bronx kid myself, if I was still living there, he'd be my congressman. He joins us here on the Can We Please Talk podcast. Representative Bowman, Mike Leon, thank you so much for hopping on the pod with me.
2: Of course. Good to be with you. Thanks for having me.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I'm so glad that we were able to do this and have you on the program. Uh, There's a bunch to get to. Uh, I know you've been uh, meeting with Senator Sanders. We're going to get into a little bit of what you've been discussing and trying to get the Biden administration to do for railway workers. Uh, I want to get to that in a second. But first, you had posted something the other day about Brittany Griner's release from prison. Uh, We obviously reshared it on our show page. We did that and covered a lot of the attention that that's been getting. But I just want to get your thoughts, high level of the Biden administration getting an American citizen back home uh, that was in a Russian prison.
2: Yes, tremendous. You know, I'm happy uh, the Biden administration was able to do that. Uh, It's unfortunate that it took so long uh, for it to happen. Um, I, you know, it has me thinking about our relationship with countries like Russia and other uh, foreign nationals who, Uh, who violate human rights and who uh, engage in bad behavior on a consistent basis and why we have to do business with them under any circumstances. So that's a larger conversation. But this particular case had me thinking about that because you have Brittany Griner. Who's a uh WNBA superstar, an American citizen. But as we know, because of the pain in WNBA, uh oftentimes the players have to play two seasons in two different continents uh just to just to earn uh what they're worth. So Britney was in Russia, man, like contributing to their economy, uh being on her best behavior and to be arrested for something so which is nothing. Uh, And then and then sentenced to, I believe, nine years or something like that was just was just crazy. And then it also made me think, uh, again, big picture about all of the people who are incarcerated here uh, for marijuana offenses, nonviolent offenses and how we they're still in jail right now. (laughs) So there's just so many conversations around, around what happened with Brittany. And then the last point I'll make is, you know, there was a lot of uh, backlash uh, towards the Biden administration because, uh, you know, why why did we get her out versus someone else? Like a service uh, member was, was a part of that conversation. And most of the rhetoric was coming from, from Republicans. And as we know, Republicans consistently are are uh, anti-woman, anti-black, anti-LGBTQ, and Brittany Griner checks all those boxes. So that's why the rhetoric was what it was. But I'm just happy that she's she's back in the U.S. uh, and able to continue her life.
1: Yeah, I'm with you on that front Uh, on a a lot of that, uh, because it's true. Getting an American citizen home. I couldn't understand, uh, you know, the outcry of why we left the Marine behind. We know the circumstances behind some of that. I want to get into uh, the larger picture that I was uh, talking to you about. Um, The other day you did a presser with Senator Sanders. Um, You were talking a lot about, you know, the executive action you want the Biden administration to take on this paid family leave for for rail workers out there. Can you kind of tell our audience who maybe hasn't been following some of this stuff and the transit news and the strike potential um, where where you are and working with Senator Sanders on this and what is it that you are asking the Biden administration to do?
2: Yeah, so rail workers do not have paid sick leave, um, which is insane. Um, first of all, every person in our country should have paid sick leave. Uh, any For anyone in any industry to not have paid sick leave is just inhumane uh, and un-American, in my opinion. But then when you look at rail workers and you consider the work that they do and how detrimental their work is, to their health and their well being and their families on a consistent basis. We're talking about some of the most grueling, backbreaking work. Uh, for them to have to put in uh, notice, advance notice for a sick day is preposterous because you don't know when you're going to be sick. Um, and these are workers who work through COVID uh, and be working for their entire careers without sick days. So part of the workers' negotiations with their employers was to get sick days. And unfortunately, the employers and the workers couldn't come to an agreement. And when that happens, uh, one of the provisions that's a part of uh, federal policy is that Congress can step in uh, and help uh, to negotiate uh, a contract. That's problematic for me is because one, I, I I don't believe that Congress should step in in general. I just think that employers should do the right thing and workers should exercise their right to strike. Um, but we tried to make the best out of a bad situation by uh, ensuring that, okay, if they are going to, if we are gonna step in and, and be a part of an agreement, we need to make sure they get their sick days. Um, so on the House side, we wrote an amendment Uh, that passed the House, uh, providing the sick days. But then when it got to the Senate, uh, we were, I believe, four senators short uh, from it becoming the sick day portion of the contract becoming law. You know, Senator Sanders, shout out to him. He was even able to to get six Republicans uh, on board to be a part of this bill. But unfortunately, Senator Manchin, uh, who's a a Democratic name only, and 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 three other Republicans weren't weren't able to move and and support this bill, so we didn't get it done. So now we're calling on the Biden administration to take executive action, which there is precedent for, uh, because President Obama President Obama did something like this in 2015, uh, but the rail workers were left out of the paid sick leave aspect of it. So Biden can do it, and we're pushing him to do it, and we think he will.
1: Dino, huh? That new acronym we, we pushing that now. The Democrat name, I kind of, kind of like it. Well, I want to stay on that because you fed into the follow-up perfectly, as almost as if you had these questions. Uh, the uh, Kirsten Cinema <laughs> saying that she's an independent. Now that the election cycle is over, I want to get some of your takes on some different things that are going to play out with the new Congress in twenty twenty-three. First. Uh, Kirsten Cinema obviously talking about that she is switching to <laughs> switching. She never was, but uh, we'll get into that in a second. But uh, going independent and leaving the Democratic Party. And then on the flip side, now that the House will be under Republican control, Nancy Pelosi stepping down. Hakeem Jeffries is going to be taking over as the minority leader. I want to get your takes on on Jeffries first, and then let's get to Cinema leaving the party uh, after.
2: Yeah, I mean, Hakeem Jeffries is the first uh Person of color to be minority leader in U.S. history, um, and if we take back the House in 2024, he'll be the first person of color, uh, first black man in history to be. Well, he'll have a chance to because nothing is guaranteed. He'll have a chance to be uh, elected Speaker. So it's it's incredibly historic. He's also a member of the Progressive Caucus. So in most of his policies, you know, like affordable housing and universal childcare and workers' rights, he, he is he is right there uh, with us, uh, which is great, which is great. So it's historic, and, and I'm looking forward to working with him. And as a Black man, I know how important it is to see other Black men uh, in, in positions of influence and leadership, um, you know, from Colin Powell to President Obama to Hakeem Jeffries. You know, you're going to have young Black boys and young black men looking uh, into the political arena and seeing themselves, and, it, and it's a, it's a it's very empowering, and it helps to pull them in, regardless of sort of political differences, which there are some. Those things, those things exist. Uh, exist, so that's great. Um, yeah, Kirsten Cinema. You know, uh, when you when you look at the last couple of years, uh, you know, she consistently has gone against the Democratic Party. When we have tried to do right for working class people, um, for women, uh, for for people who, who struggle with economic inequality, she's opposed uh, taxing the wealthy. She's opposed raising taxes on corporations. She's opposed policies that uh, will hold pharmaceutical companies accountable. Uh, she opposed Build Back Better. Um, so she hasn't been a Democrat in her behavior for a very long time. Um, And her decision to become an independent right after, uh, a few days after Reverend Warnock wins re-election in Georgia uh, is not an accident, it's by design. Um, Her donors are going to be very happy with her, donors who want to continue to keep uh, working people oppressed and continue to make profit. Uh, And the fact that she was going to face a very challenging Democratic primary is not also is also not lost on me. Um, Now she avoids that. Um, And now, you know, organizers are going to have to figure out another way to challenge her and get her out of office because she's been responsive to her donors way more than she has been to the people of Arizona.
1: Congressman, I want to ask you about we had Representative Seth Moulton on the program uh, before November, and we were talking about bipartisanship and kind of what that looks like to him. And obviously, we've talked on the show about some of the nonsensical Congress folks like a Ted Cruz, like a Marjorie Taylor Greene, people that maybe sometimes don't believe their own BS. Right. And but I'm curious now, as the Republicans will take over the House right in 2023, it's a slim majority. So, if you want to get something passed legislatively, how do you reach across the aisle? How does bipartisanship look like to Representative Bowman? I want to get something done. I want to get a couple of Republicans that I know are in that moderate category that will join us and pass this bill. What does that look like? Take our audience inside that.
2: Yeah. So, first of all, the last two years were especially challenging because we just came out of an insurrection and out of the Trump presidency, where all he did was stoke the flames of racism and sexism and classism and Islamophobia and, and you know, just, just harmful, evil rhetoric, uh, in my opinion. And all of that led to the insurrection. And, you know, many Republicans voted to, you know, not certify the election results. So this is not just a lack of bipartisanship in a normal context. This is within the context of the first attack on the Capitol since the war of 1812 uh, and rhetoric from the Republic party that, that, that speaks of a potential civil war. Um, and I'm not exaggerating there. Like that is like what they were saying. Right. So that was the context of the, of this, this Congress. Now I was kind of lucky because I serve on the Science, Space, and Tech Committee and actually chair the subcommittee for energy. And that committee does everything in a bipartisan way. Every single bill that we marked up in committee, uh, that we introduced, that became law, that we were a big part of, like the CHIPS Act, is a bipartisan bill. Every single one except one. Um, So it can be done. But the Republican Party has has continued to go even further to the right uh, and embrace MAGA Republicans, embrace QAnon Republicans, uh, embrace uh, conspiracy theories, disinformation, uh, anti-wokeness, whatever that is. This is who they are. So as long as they continue to be that, it's gonna make it very difficult to to govern in a bipartisan way. Um, And so with them coming into control of Congress, they have to work in a bipartisan way because no law that they introduce here in the House is going to pass the Senate because Democrats still have control of the Senate and Democrats also still have control of the White House. So what's going to happen is either they govern in accordance with the needs of the American people or they're gonna be voted out in 2024 because every policy that they introduce is gonna be a clear indication to the American people what they stand for. And we already know, but now it's gonna be even more pronounced because they are in a majority in the house.
1: Congressman, before I let you go, um, you just mentioned a bunch there about insurrection 2021 and what happened there. You know the, the, the way the Republican Party has moved further to the right uh, and, and this very vocal minority now that's maybe a majority of their party. Having said all that, we go back a few years now. Would you run again for Congress knowing what you know now and everything, the rhetoric and how hard it is sometimes to work with? folks that are just nonsensical. You, you tweeted oh. something about, uh, I don't think it was Jim Jordan, I forget, uh, the Banks uh, from Indiana. You tweeted something ab- about him. And these these people are caric- caricatures of themselves. Yes. It's almost like pro wrestling, as my co-host would say, uh, and they're heels for the people that get that terminology. But having uh, n- all this knowledge now, would you have run still for the American people, for the people of your district, the 16th District of New York, would you still run for office? And what have you learned in, in in these past couple of yeah. years in office?
2: So yes, uh, is the answer to that question because I, I know that I'm needed here. Uh, I know that because my constituents have told me that. Um, and I see that now that I'm here for two years. Uh, you know, we all come with unique experiences. And when you're a part of a minority or historically marginalized group, whether you're a woman or a person of color or LGBTQ, whatever, you, your voice and your experiences really matter as it relates to how policy gets made in Washington. So I have unique experiences as a black man in America, as a middle school principal in the Bronx, um, as someone who comes from challenging circumstances and, and, and has, has lived through some of that, so it's really important for my voice and voices like mine to be here. So, so absolutely. And then it gives me a chance to have conversations like this with you. Uh, it gives me a chance to to share with my constituents in the country. Some of the things that happened here in Washington that maybe they wouldn't get a they wouldn't get a bird's eye view of, uh, you know, previously. So yes, I would I would absolutely uh, run again, and I've learned that, you know, I've learned many 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 things, but I've learned that democracy is a contact sport, and in order for it to work, everyone has to be involved on a consistent basis. And so that's with regards to advocacy, you know, calling uh, elected officials, writing, emailing, setting up meetings, knocking on doors in your community, uh, you know, nurturing collaboration so that you could bring in resources and get things done for your district. It's it's an it's an active process. So that that's. I knew that before, but it's, it's key. It's, it was key learning while I was here this last two years. The other thing I learned in relation to that is um, there are bad actors out there who wanna do us harm um, for their own power and influence. So, there are lobbies in Washington, pharmaceutical lobby, fossil fuel lobby, pro-Israel lobby. Uh uh, there are lobbies who only care about their thing and push others away. And that is not how a democracy should work. And many of those lobbies have a lot of money. And that money influences how my colleagues behave, like Kirsten Cinema, like Joe Manchin and others. So it's important for us to push back on that, right? And and communicate a communicate a vision for the country and the world that really brings people together and inspires change. And and so that's what this is, you know, constantly. And and the the powers that be, quote unquote. You know, some might say I'm the powers that be because I'm here now, that's partly true. But what really makes the world go round is money. And our wealth has been built on slavery, discrimination, and colonialism, and institutions that feed those things. And 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 the evolution of those things from slavery to mass incarceration, uh, from colonialism, in terms of land to colonialism in terms of our capitalism and how wealth is hoarded amongst the few and workers have to scratch, fight, claw, and die to earn even a living wage, um, which is why unions are so important. So uh learned a lot, man, and looking forward to learning a lot more and looking forward to to continuing the fight that we're all we're all engaged in.
1: Very well said there, Congressman. Like I said, as a kid from 4386 Byron Avenue up in the North Bronx there, PS16, my old school, my best friend, Sean, who's a mutual friend of ours, who told me about you a few years ago and said, we're going to get this guy into Congress. Uh, I am uh, incredibly proud of the work that you continue to do, sir. Uh, New York 16th District is lucky to have you. Congressman Jamal Bowman, thank you for hopping on the podcast. Continue success, and Please stay safe.
2: Of course, brother. Thank you so much for having me. Really good to meet you and bring me back in a couple months.
1: I will. I will. Cause we got to talk more about the next next big win last night. we against the bulls. We got to talk more about the Knicks. Knicks, win, uh, the about the Knicks and five stuff. in a row, baby. That's right.
2: All right, brother. All right. Peace and love.
1: Thank you.
0: Your website should be a marketing asset, not an engineering challenge. Empowering everyone from independent designers to whole marketing teams, Webflow combines the power of HTML, CSS, and JavaScript and places them all in a completely visual canvas. Trusted by companies like Lattice and Discord, it changes the way marketers, designers, and engineers create for the web. Now you can build the site you want without the dev time. Start building for free at Webflow.com.
1: All right, my thank yous there to... Representative Jamal Bowman, uh, New York's 16th congressional district that he represents. Uh, He's been in Congress now for a couple of years. Like I mentioned on on the interview, I would be in that uh, congressional district if I still lived where I lived in my old address back there in the Bronx. What do you make of the interview, Nick? I know you were actually supposed to join the interview, uh, do some time constraints and stuff like that. We couldn't figure that out. But what do you make listening back to the interview of the congressman?
0: You know. It was refreshing, honestly, because I think he's an, he's an idealistic dude, but I think he's fighting for the right causes. Um, you know, as I listened, I first heard him talk about Brittany Griner and and unpack why is it that someone would go into a country um, that's that occur especially under this current leadership, is not the safest place, and and the financial reasons for that. Now, I'll argue that at the end of the day. You, you have to make the choices that you do to make the money that you want. Um, and it's an unfortunate one, but people still choose where they want to go. Um, you know, and just asking for these players to get more pay. Well, this is the United States of America. It doesn't, it doesn't quite work that way, right? I and mean, it's a private company in the WNBA and it's a fill in being you know, subsidized by the NBA. But I understand what he's saying. You know, he also brought up a point about, you know, why do we as a country deal with any country? that's no for human rights violations. And I would say I, yes. And what does that mean about economics and commerce? You know, if we're going to start cutting out countries that, you know, we feel we, um, morally don't stand with, well, that could work the other way too with, with countries in Europe that or in Africa that may not be comfortable with our views currently, uh, on abortion. So I understand where he comes from and I respect a lot of it. Um, but in some ways, yeah, and just call me jaded. I, I heard some of those portions of it and I, I said, like there's reasons for that. Like the third one that came to me was talking about the railroad railroad workers and um, paid family leave. He asked a question about, well, why should they have to announce when um, they're taking sick leave? Like why should anyone? And what I would say is, well, as a person who's ridden the train, you know me at New Jersey Transit for a few years, you know, when you don't have that level of knowledge, about people who are taking off shift, people have to step on the shift. You just have massive people <laughs> waiting to get on a train, and folks, I like to call those people voters. That's why that they that's why the railroad companies will do what they do because there's there's a political tie to it. And again, I'm not opposing what the represent what you know the congressman says, but there are reasons for that. But I appreciate that it's just the fresh air they brings. Mike, you and I have talked a lot about you know we've seen this recently with Nancy Pelosi. You know, we've seen, you know, our elder statespeople, you know, in positions of authority in this country. And we wonder aloud, is that maybe the reason that we're not progressively growing as a country? You know, because we have previous generations that really are still the most powerful people in this country. And the answer I would say is yes, because the norm for them is what we currently have. To think differently, to think along the lines of someone like a representative Bowman means you gotta have more people like him in Congress. So I, I, I applaud the sentiment and I I hope we get more idealists like that, because I think that's what would help to move the country and help us
1: evolve to where we see other places in the world. Yeah. You know, we're going to do something well, next time we do our live show in New York, too. We're going to try to get Representative Bowman to come on, but he'll be on the program, too, uh, in, in 2023. Um, before we sign off here, one thing I did want to get on, uh, we talked about this at the beginning of the show mainstream media. And I hate using that phrase. You know how much I hate using it. But when I say mainstream media, I mean more CNN, Fox, MSNBC. Sorry, Fox, you're in that mainstream media category. Um, A lot of them have not been covering this Twitter files uh, updates, if you haven't heard about this. And the Twitter files were basically uh, Elon Musk uh, allowing two different journalists, uh, Matt Taibbi, I think is how you say his first name, a former uh, journalist over at the Rolling Stone. And then Barry Weiss, uh, an unknown conservative, but a, a journalist, a former journalist at the New York Times, um, allowing them access to see kind of what happened during Twitter under Jack Dorsey and the different ways that Twitter went about content moderation and understanding what accounts to kind of put on the do not amplify list based upon misinformation and disinformation. I'm not going to get into all of that here because we've mentioned about Twitter a bunch here. Twitter is a private company. Just because you happen to like the app, just because your profile set up and you have all your follows and your feed set up the way you like it, you're a renter. If the owner comes in and tells you to get your shit and get out of his house, you have to get your shit and get out of his house. And by the way, it's a two-way street. And the reason I mention that is because as Nick and I are recording this, news just broke from Ben Collins over at NBC News about all the accounts that have been suspended by Elon Musk, Uh, journalists like Donnie O'Sullivan, who's supposed to be on this program from CNN, Aaron Rupar over at Vox, uh, Drew Harwell over at the Washington Post. Uh, We had um, Ryan Mack, another reporter over at the New York Times, Um, a bunch of different people, at least 10 to 12 journalists in total, just as of this taping from reputable outlets, The Intercept, Mashable, a bunch of other places, all suspended. And everyone's kind of making the assumptions. Again, as of this taping, uh, they're making the assumptions that this had something to do with uh, Elon Musk suspending the account of ElonJet, which was started by somebody who was following around uh, his private plane and the frequency coordinations based on flight logs and when the, the flights would land and take off. So I, the reason I draw the parallels there is because I, the same thing that I've been saying to people on Twitter it's not free speech it's not a di- it's not a dictatorship it's his house it's a private app and again I come at this from the product and engineering standpoint listen to me people okay I have worked for Warner Media I have worked for Madison Square Garden I have worked for Vivo and I have worked for ESPN all of them launching platforms and apps okay I'm talking sites and apps And the apps specifically, all of them, and you've seen them because you scroll past them or you hit I accept and you don't read them or you click a little checkbox and that gets you to the next screen. Or sometimes it makes you scroll all the way down and then you have to go all the way down this, you know, 20, 30 page thing and you finally hit accept and you don't read that. And you should read that. You should read every bullet point in there to try to understand it because those are called terms of service agreements and those are called privacy policies. And those are vetted by lawyers, maybe lawyers that you've even heard on this show or lawyers that listen to this show. So everyone knows that all of those things are done to protect the companies when you're using those applications. So when you enter your profile information, right, when you do anything with respect to the application that you like or dislike, right? Content moderation, all of that is a part of it. And the reason I bring up content moderation uh, a couple of different times at the, at the companies I've worked for, we tried to incorporate chat functionality. Well, what happens if they say bad things about this company? Do we take it down because we don't want it to appear in the feed? perfect example would be the Knicks. A lot of people don't like the owner, James Dolan. You're watching a Nick game and all of a sudden in the chat window of people watching the stream with you, you start bad-mouthing the owner. Would that be deleted? I mean, it's his app. If he wants to delete it, he can delete it. These are things that people don't understand. I don't get why they don't understand them, but they don't understand them when they use applications that have PPs, TOUs, and TOSs. I'm using all acronyms, but again, privacy policy, terms of use, terms of service. This is not hard. There is no government regulation into this. There is no free speech that's been violated with any of this. Just because Donnie O'Sullivan and Aaron Rupar have huge followings on Twitter, Elon Musk owns Twitter now and he's made the company private and he's getting rid of it. But the same nonsensical argument that conservative folks like David Sachs over at the All In podcast, which I happen to love, that they've made this argument that he's going to turn this around and he's going to and he's going to change this platform and he's going to allow for more voices. Is you can throw all of those opinions in the trash because they're not putting up the same argument for folks now from reputable outlets that have been suspended, just like when uh, Elon suspended Kanye. Right, the two are not equatable. One person is saying anti-Semitic things, and again, there. I mean, let me take this back. They're equatable because it's his platform. If he wants to get rid of both of them, sure. But in terms of the crime committed in front of the public opinion, they're not equatable because one's being anti-Semitic. The other one's reporting news on the owner of the company, which is true and verified by other outlets. So I wanted to get your takes because you've been away for you know a few weeks. Um, and obviously, the the spiral of Twitter since we had Laura Kolodny on, and I checked if Laura is still active on Twitter. She has posted a couple of things saying, I'm still here, folks. And she's been covering uh, Elon for 12 plus years from the, the SpaceX days, PayPal. Uh, so she's been on that beat for a while. And it looks like at least, again, based upon the suspended journalist and the outlets that they're from and the tweets that they have sent out about Elon Musk that he is pulling all of these Twitter accounts because they have all said something disparaging about him. This is not Mike Leon making you know, a, a summation or an educated guest here. This is actually their last tweets all lined up. And each of them had said something about Elon Musk or an article that they had written about Elon Musk. So you can only draw the conclusion based upon <laughs> w- what they have done in their final tweets. Um, but again, his house, he wants to suspend those accounts. He can And you have to really read the privacy policy in terms of use. If you don't like Twitter, folks, raise the capital, buy it, or start your own service. Now, if you want to get into the argument about, uh, and the government is trying to regulate this, that Google and Apple are the only two hosting services with respect to where apps can live, and that's unfair, I'll have that argument with you. Because that is that while that's factually correct, so far, the government hasn't regulated that. So Apple and Google could kick Twitter off of their services where people can't download it. And then it'll only be available via desktop. Actually it probably won't even be available via desktop because that's also powered uh, through some of these services. But um, all right. So I turn to you now um, government has not intervened into any of this section two hundred and thirty has not been updated. There's nothing that is preventing Elon Musk from doing any of this, but when you heard about the Twitter files and then now I this breaking news as we're recording, about must suspending these 10 or 12 journalists from reputable outlets. What are some of your takeaways? You know, since the
0: day he bought it, you know, you have to recognize that. And and you said this, it's his house now. I have to make that decision. I, you know, when he, when it was first announced or when he moved forward with the purchase, um, you know, I took it, I took a few days off or actually I did way back when, when he was in the process of buying it. You know, I, I needed to step away because, um, I'm not a fan. Um, I respect I, I respect some of the things that he's brought to, you know, brought to the space, brought to the space in the sense of, I think Tesla's done an amazing job of really putting to the forefront that you can have an electric car and, and it'd be stylish and really change the way we think of automobiles. I give him a lot of credit for that. He's not the inventor of it. I mean, go back and listen to our episode, you know, with Laura Kolodny about that, um, but he definitely brought a vibe that at the time put forward the idea that yes, you know, electric cars are the future and here's a way to, you know, and here's one, um, that proves that. And I saw, I mean, you know, since I've been away, I mean, I've seen tons of Teslas, you know, throughout Florida and even around here in Pennsylvania too, but like, like Mark Zuckerberg, like a lot of, um, uh, Seth Bankman Fried or Sam Bankman Fried, obviously. We've seen a lot of these guys in the tech field, um, and not just guys. I mean, Elizabeth Holmes comes to mind at Theranos, formerly at Theranos, that are idealists, but they're not ethical people. They're not, they're actually, they're bad leaders. You know, they have a great idea. They know how to hype it up, and that's the industry they're in. It's the hype industry, because when you pull the curtains down, there's not a whole lot there to, to be amazed by. You know, with the acquisition of Twitter, we all had to recognize, you know, what this is his house now. What do we want to do about it? But I, I, again you've you've mentioned the house analogies. I don't need to go forward with it. But everything we've heard recently about, you know, the Twitter files, um, you know, suspending these accounts, none of it is surprising. If you're upset about it, you should do something about it, which is delete your account or go on to some other media platform or buy your own or create one. Um, but this is who he is. If anything, I want this to be evidence to people of whenever you try to put Elon into some category of a visionary or someone who's doing the public good, that may have been true at some point, but we're well past that now. This is just a very small human being that is on a, on a massive ego trip. It's always been laughable that one of the selling points he brought up, too, were, one, to improve Twitter. to remove bots. Well, that hasn't happened. The second one, the most important, was the element of free speech, which again, Elon has not obviously read the constitution because free speech has nothing to do with private industry. But he talked often about it. And we've seen that from conservatives a lot about the feeling of, well, I can't say what I want. Therefore, you're violating my free speech. And Twitter was supposed to be a place where (laughs) that was I can't even see his uh, laughing. It was supposed to be this bastion of free speech, because apparently it wasn't that before Elon bought it. I still continue to use Twitter, partly because of those journalists, because that's become their platform. Folks, when we were in D.C. and we did our live show after the live show, Mike and I had drinks with several people on the panel, all accomplished journalists. And the question that came up, and I don't know if I asked or someone else did, was you know, with this soon to be purchase of of Twitter by Elon, what are you all going to do? Because Twitter seems to become a very big, a very powerful tool for journalists to go right to the masses to share their work. And every one of them gave the same look of this look of resignation of, I don't want to stay, but I do it for professional reasons. And what everyone basically spoke to was the, the stuff that they enjoyed. The personal side of them that came through on Twitter, their ability to engage with people, that's gone. This is now going to be for them just business. I've written a piece. I want to get it easily out to you know my readers. I'm going to use Twitter for that, and that said a that said volumes to me. You know, people are changing their expectations of the platform, um, and it's the same for me. You know, I, I still love engaging with people. You know, on it, but. Yeah, you know, there's just more and more evidence to the fact that that Elon's gonna run this company as as essentially a massive ego trip. And the really pernicious part here is this is going to be really about his view and his voice. And the reason that should make everyone alarmed is it's the most pop it's one of the most popular social media tools
1: in the hands of a child. Yeah. Well, listen, um, I did want to make one point real quick here because and, and I want people to email us, can we please talk podcast at gmail.com if you have a take. Again. My take is rooted in having worked at these companies and having read privacy policies and terms of use and having worked with attorneys to explain to them how the UI, the user interface and the user experience will work, how the happy path works if somebody gets into our, our flow of creating a profile and what information we're capturing from them, storing from them for how long. All of these things are documented by legal teams and are put into these TOUs and PPs. I've been telling people on Twitter, Instagram, any any of our followers that have DM'd us about this. I come at it from a different lens. You never worked at some of these companies. I've worked at some of these companies that incorporate some of the features that some of these platforms already incorporate and they capture profile information. That's the pivotal thing. One thing I did want to note because I was mentioning David Sachs from the All In Podcast. You check those guys out, uh, Friedberg and J. Cal and, and Chamath, uh, who do a great job. And Chamath made a point on his show that I wanted to bring here because as a final note, um, he was mentioning about the same thing because he had worked uh, previously at Facebook. So he was mentioning the same thing. You know, it's, it's not your house. Rent their house. He didn't use the same analogy. But one thing he didn't mention was, I think it's wrong to not amplify certain opinions that were opposite in the medical community, not with respect to vaccines, but with res- respect to COVID lockdowns. One of the things that the Twitter files uncovered was a doctor from Stanford, and I'm blanking on his name right now, that his tweets, guess, didn't reach the masses. They weren't edited. They weren't deleted. They just weren't amplified. And he was very opposed to lockdowns. Again, Stanford doctor, currently teaching at the school, and so, when we start to tamper down opinions of people that maybe could have changed around the course of lockdowns for students and kids with respect to, you know, the spread and stuff like that, maybe if we had had another opinion of somebody, again, Stanford doctor teaching at the university, like maybe that voice could have been heard and could have, you know jumped onto one of these panels, advisory committees or whatnot and maybe reshape the way we thought about lockdowns. I agree with all of that. I agree with all of that. But back to the principal part of this, this is not Mike Leon's opinion. This is an actual fact. These companies right now are privately owned and they're not regulated by any government. So you can't play the both sides of this of like, the government needs to step in. Wait a minute. What am I saying? They're a private company. No, don't step in government. Like, Which one is it? Make up your mind. Because if with the House uh, being a Republican majority. And we've already seen legislation, Marco Rubio is trying to get it passed to ban TikTok here in the US. They've already on a bipartisan nature, I think it was unanimous, pass a bill that will ban TikTok from government employees using it because it still has a partnership with the Chinese government, the, the owners of TikTok. So there already is something coming for a different platform, okay? So until the laws change around Twitter, and around other social media companies, and how we circumvent their privacy policies in terms of use and how they're regulated. Right now, you are a renter in that house. I encourage all of you, all of you, as somebody who has sat and read through privacy policies in terms of use, and by the way, who has translated it in Spanish and Portuguese for people in Latin America, I encourage all of you right now Go read the privacy policy in terms of use of your favorite app. If you create a profile there, or if you do any type of merchandise exchange programs, buy things from there, sell, trade, read the privacy policy in terms of use and find out how it is they're using your information and what actual rights you have to use on that platform. We leave it there. My thank yous to Representative Bowman for being on the program, a congressman out of New York, follow him across social media. Speaking of following across social media... You know, for us, video, YouTube, head to our YouTube channel, type in Can We Please Talk podcast, and we should come right up because there's nobody else named Can We Please Talk and hit subscribe for me there. Audio podcast platforms, you know, by now, Apple, Spotify, Google Pods, uh, Good Pods as well. Shout out to all the folks that listen to us on Good Pods. Shout out to Acast, our hosting platform. Can't do it without them. We can't do it without each and every one of you that listens, that writes in, sends notes, leaves me dumb comments on TikTok. You know, I'm engaging with you and we appreciate it. As always, I'm Mike Leon. I'm Nick Saveri. See everybody next time.
0: Planning for your next trip?